0: Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hey, friends, this is kind of a uh, listener cue episode. There was a few questions that came in and I figured, hey, I'll just grab the mic um, and start talking. I didn't really have anything planned for this week, so this is it. I'm going to talk about thyroid stuff today. Um... And it's gonna be kind of a quick and dirty episode. I really wanna get like straight to the point, especially answering the question, what's the link between gluten and thyroid, especially gluten and Hashimoto's. I'm gonna just give you some, some quick and dirty fast facts on that. So you can start to wrap your head around that connection. So we'll get to that in a few moments. Um, I do have some strictly biz last week. I told you that I, I pre-recorded some strictly biz episodes, but I know not every, everybody here has a business and this isn't a business forward podcast, but even if you don't, um, it's still, not a bad idea to listen to them. I think, you know, I, I definitely get a lot of feedback from listeners saying that they're not business owners, but they glean a lot of stuff from those episodes. Um, I, I've been talking a lot about, I don't know, female empowerment. I sounds, I feel so cheesy saying that, but for lack of a better term, I've been talking a lot about, um, kind of claiming our space and setting boundaries and feeling okay with all of that. Um, And that isn't just something that's available to somebody who owns a business. That is really available to all of us. And I know a lot of you tune into the show to hear about nutrition and functional medicine um, and hormone health, but what is becoming blindingly clear to me The more that I'm in the trenches working with folks is that hormones is a whole life project. Health is a whole life project. Female health goes beyond just nutrition. Now, nutrition, I'm like, ride or die for nutrition, deep nutrition. And I'm going to tell you exactly why in this episode, why we can't overlook a food first approach. Super, super important. But that's one slice of the health pie. And, um, what I, the, this, I guess this all stems from just working with women for so many years and seeing what the heck is going on. And now long-time listeners, you, you've you probably seen the evolution of me, of my practice, of my business, of my show. Actually, I went back and listened to, um, um, in December, we have this, we have a fun, Thing planned for the month of December, uh, the 12 days of funk myths. And we're going to be doing lots of giveaways. And I'm re releasing the most downloaded episodes, the top most downloaded episodes. And one that didn't make the cut, but um, because it wasn't, didn't hit 12, but I, I listened to it anyway was the episode that Kyle and I did about isogenics and shakeology and fad diets. And I was listening to the beginning of it, and I was like, I was so much nicer then. I just tiptoed around um, saying, like I said the hard things, but I did it in a much softer, gentler way. And I've really, over the course of three years of this podcast, have found my voice and been okay with being more direct. And I think I'm getting, I don't want to say I'm getting more comfortable with ruffling feathers, but I am, I think... Be getting more comfortable with the idea that not everybody's going to love me, and that's going to be a hard pill for some of us to swallow. We were just talking about this concept in your hormone revival group with all of my ladies there. So, we're we're terrified to upset people, right? We don't want we like at the core of it, at the crux of it, we we just want people to like us and love us. Anyway, um, talking about all of this stuff matters, and it, it it matters from a health perspective too. So. If you're new to the show and you're coming here for nutrition, we're still going to talk about all that, I promise you. But I, I do feel, though, as though I'm shortchanging my listeners. I'm shortchanging you to only focus on nutrition and not explore all aspects of health. Listen, I've been doing this work for a decade. I know what moves the needle by now. I can see it. I can see it in the hundreds of women that I've worked with, in the thousands of women that I've, I've been in contact with over the past decade this stuff matters. Um, and I think we all come to it at different points in our journey and, and sometimes food is like the gateway in. We start cleaning up our diet and we're like, oh my God, <laughs> there's so much more to it. So wherever you are in your journey, I got your back, um, but you will probably continue to hear me talk more about um, all of this stuff as well because it, it matters. Uh, So today, specifically, we're going to talk about food first, why food first is the best approach. I know I talk so much about functional lab testing, and that's a big part of my practice, but we can't skip steps, and so it doesn't make sense to invest a ton of um, time and money into these functional labs if you haven't uh, tweaked your diet, so we're going to talk about that. I also want to talk about why the current model of thyroid care is failing. I've gotten a couple of questions about thyroid. I've done some episodes in the past on thyroid, but we'll dive into it a little bit more because I haven't talked about this concept. And then we're going to talk about the Hashimoto's and gluten connection. So first, let I want to explain why I believe that we need a new paradigm when it comes to thinking about thyroid health because the current conventional model is to test TSH, thyroid-stimulating hormone. And maybe, maybe we test free T4. If those labs, those values are in range, within lab value range, we ignore them, regardless of the symptoms. No matter if somebody comes to you with a laundry list of hypothyroid symptoms, if TSH is normal, we completely ignore it. And we, I'm saying we, it's, I'm really talking about the conventional medicine model. I, would, I wouldn't I would do this. I, I actually listen to women. <laughs> I believe them. Um, But if they're out of range, then the solution, and the only solution, is to treat, and I'm using air quotes when I say treat, treat the thyroid with thyroid hormone medication. What we're really trying to do is manage TSH. It's to manipulate and micromanage TSH. It's really less about symptomology and like what the human being is experiencing, and it's more about trying to manipulate a lab value. But in reality, most people with hypothyroid symptoms have functional or subclinical hypothyroidism. And these are the people that are being missed by conventional medicine. We can consider many thyroid issues more like secondary. It's not like there's an actual thyroid disease. There's not like mayhem, destruction, and terror to the thyroid gland, to the thyroid tissue in a lot of these situations. But some facet of health is breaking down and it's creating hypothyroid symptoms. And in these cases, medication might not be the appropriate treatment. And there's nothing wrong with thyroid medication. Let me be abundantly clear. This is not a situation where I am knocking thyroid medication. It can be a a game changer and a lifesaver for a lot of people. But uh, the issue is that when we're using it inappropriately, um, we have to think about, well, what's causing the thyroid to falter in the the first place? If the thyroid itself is fine, treating the thyroid is probably not going to work very well. So the person still has symptoms. Their TSH might be awesome, peachy keen, jelly bean. But if they're still experiencing symptoms, then we have to really pay attention to that. And usually, what we need to do is address the upstream issues. What what caused this in the first place? We we want to assess like what does this mean about the entire body? The thyroid is very sensitive to any slight alteration in the body. That's its job. So when there's if there's an issue with thyroid labs, we want to We want to question why. Why is this happening? This is where the paradigm shift is required. We want to shift from thyroid physiology is the problem, in under, look at it from more of a perspective. Thyroid physiology is responding and adapting to the problem. What's the chief problem? It's usually not the thyroid. The thyroid is usually responding to something else. And so to treat the thyroid, while it might make somebody feel better short term, it's not going to fix the underlying problem, right? It's that tack and heel analogy that I always use. If you step on a tack, your foot's going to hurt. Your heel's going to hurt so you could take advil you could take an anti-inflammatory you could rub some cream on it you could do a lot of things to reduce the pain minimize the pain but the problem itself is never going to go away until you remove the tack from your heel it's the same same scenario here and when we can shift that thought process it does a, a massive service to the way that we think about our body so when somebody thinks that they have a thyroid problem, they're like, well, what's going on? Like, what, why is my body kind of betraying me? What's happening here? And if we realize that it's like thyroid physiology adapting and responding to a situation, it's really more about, like, my body's not screwing up. My body's not doing this by mistake. This is my body trying to protect me. This is adaptive physiology. My body's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. There's a reason why my lab markers might be abnormal. My body is responding. And so one of my jobs, I find, is to get people to understand that their bodies usually are not revolting against them. And as women, we've kind of been trained to, to believe that since, since day one, um, that your body is a problem. Your hormones are wild right? Your, uh, your cravings are wrong. Your hunger needs to be quelched. Every, any, anything that we, any desire, food, sexual desire, freaking anything is wrong. Your body's not to be trusted. And so we, 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 we have this baked in belief about ourselves that we're wrong. Something's wrong with our body. And then when we get labs to confirm that it, we kind of like double down on like the body flagellation like i knew something was wrong with my body right and most of the time our bodies are doing exactly what they're supposed to do so if hormones are wacky if thyroid is wacky it's because the body's responding to to a stressor and um annie um, hopkins came on the show a few months ago She has the Postpartum Revolution podcast. And one of the things she said on the show was when women understand their bodies, they get shit done. And that is the problem, is that women don't understand their bodies. I feel like that's one of the things we need to do is like kind of learn about our bodies. I call your hormone revival, like, the, the user's manual for your female body. So you can actually understand what the heck is going on. When we understand what's going on, when we understand why our body's doing what it's doing, then we are less combative with our body. And I think that is the ultimate goal. So the, the real with thyroid um, ah, symptoms what we really need to uncover is what the thyroid is responding to. And there are many different types of stressors that can uh, lead to hypothyroid symptoms. Um, And I've talked about what hypothyroid symptoms are already on the show, so I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole, but um, really what we need to do is is understand what is telling thyroid physiology that something is wrong and to deal with that versus trying to micromanage and manipulate thyroid hormone levels. If we can create homeostasis in the body, then the thyroid gets to do its job really well. So that is why we have to, with any hypothyroid situation or most hypothyroid situations, we have to talk about stressors, the different types of stressors. Now there's many, right? There's psychological stress, mental stress, emotional stress. There is um, under eating, under fueling, over training. Those are all big triggers for hypothyroid symptoms. Uh, blood sugar dysregulation is huge. I have to tell you that in, um, I have 40 women in your hormone revival. So I've seen 40 sets of labs and All roads lead back to blood sugar dysregulation. If your blood sugar is dysregulated, you are never going to be able to get a good handle on thyroid physiology or on hormone physiology or on cortisol. That is why I created Carb Compatibility Project because we need to help. We We need to dial in blood sugar control like in a major, major way. By the way, the next round of that is going to start January 4th. It's the first Monday in January. So uh, registration will be left open right up into the very end. So you can sign up for that. Um, But if you have thyroid issues, if you have hormone issues, I definitely recommend making this a a priority for yourself is to learn about blood sugar and learn about what affects blood sugar and dial that in. So many different stressors, uh, GI inflammation, gut stuff can cause... Stress, you know, can cause a physiological stress to the body. So, there's different types of things that can contribute to, or that are considered stressors to the body that can contribute to hypothyroid symptoms. So, insulin resistance being one of them that kind of lumps in with um, blood sugar. So, we have to identify those and we have to work on those, right? If the thyroid, if thyroid physiology is responding to something, we have to figure out what that something is. And so this is a lot of the work that we do in Your Hormone Revival is unpacking this sort of stuff. One of our stressors can be diet. So when I'm talking about, when I say the word stress, we tend to think about like mental stress, right? Like the, you know, like living through a pandemic, something like that, you know? But um, there are multiple physiological stressors to the body. I just kind of talked about some of them, but that's when I say the word stress in this scenario, I'm really talking about physiological stressors to the body and diet can be one of them. If we're eating foods that are inflammatory to us, that can cause stress in the body. Now I, um, Want to share this. Um, Somebody who signed up for Eat to Achieve, my 21 day nutrition program, shared this on Instagram. And I want to showcase her story. I'm not going to call her out by name because I don't know, that's weird. Um, Even though she shared it, still kind of a weird thing to do. Anyway, but her, um, it just drives home such an important point that I want to share it um, on a bigger scale because I want you to really kind of sink your teeth, so to speak, into this idea that we have to take a food first approach. So on the heels of episode 121 and 122, uh, the gut skin connection episodes, um, she had was like, oh my gosh, I, I definitely need some functional gut testing. I need to like get tested for SIBO because she had been dealing for, for nine months, had been dealing with a ton of inflammatory skin stuff uh, periocular dermatitis. So that's that that red ring around the eyes. It's kind of rashy, maybe a little flaky uh, right around your eyes, which by the way, can be very telling of food sensitivities if you get that rash. Um, she had that. She had rosacea, acne, all over skin and body flare up She had been to the dermatologist. She was getting really frustrated because nothing was working. No treatment was working. Medications, creams, Nothing. So when she heard that episode, she's like, oh my God, I definitely need gut testing. Well, I wasn't offering it at the time. Um, So what she ended up doing is purchasing Eat to Achieve, that 21-day nutrition plan. And what she shared recently is that within two weeks of following a level three, her skin had completely cleared up. This is why I tell everyone to start with food so she didn't do any testing. She didn't do any supplements. I mean, she might be taking supplements on her own, but nothing that I was like, you got to take this. Um, no individual consults, right? Just some diet tweaks and nutrition information for under a hundred bucks. So I tell this story because if you are struggling with chronic issues, whether they're skin, digestion, gut stuff inflammation autoimmunity and you haven't yet trialed a whole foods gluten-free diet it's not a bad idea to, to do that um especially if you have hashimoto's and i'm going to talk about that in a second because that was one of the questions that came in um so a lot of folks will think that they're eating really well and I do encourage, before somebody dives into one of my functional medicine programs, I do encourage them to kind of lock in their diet. Go through one of my nutrition programs, whether it's Eat2Achieve or the Carb Compatibility Project, not because I'm trying to make an extra buck, but because I'm trying to set you up for the greatest success. There are a few uh, women in my hormone program right now that are feeling a little overwhelmed with dietary tweaks. And so that's why I strongly encourage folks to work on the food piece first because you might get a lot of resolution of symptoms simply by changing your diet. And I don't mean to say simply as like, oh, it's so easy to change your diet. But I mean, it's a lot more uh, simple than investing a lot of your time and your money into higher level work. So back to the basics, back to the basics, back to the basics. And I, I do find that the two biggest needle movers are gluten, and dairy for a lot of cases. That doesn't mean everybody in the world needs to be gluten-free and dairy-free, but if you have these chronic issues going on, try it out if you haven't yet done so. And I don't mean like kind of half-ass it, like really go whole hog for at least 21 days. If you need help, use my Eat to Achieve program. Then you also want to focus on what you're adding in because you don't want to just pull out foods and then not replace them with something. So you really want to focus on what you're adding in. And I feel like this is where people can get a little bit um, overwhelmed or a little bit tripped up because they're like, well, I, I just took out a bunch of foods that I'm used to eating and I don't know what to, what to do. So what can happen is that we end up under eating by accident or we um, just throw in the towel. Cause you're like, this is too hard and it feels too restrictive. Um, so focus on what you're adding in. And that is the, what the entire program is about. You also, or what I should say is, like I said, the, bi- the biggest move needle movers to take out gluten and dairy. But what I'll say in this episode is that what I would focus on adding in are foods that get you the most bang for your buck, nutrient-dense foods, I really think that people tend to under-eat greens, so green leafy veggies, like your kales and your spinach and your Swiss chard, and even your herbs like uh, cilantro and parsley, Um, they under-eat pigment-rich foods. So these are any food that you cut down the middle, they're the same color on the inside as the outside. So beets, for example, um, and then sulfur-rich fruits, your cruciferous veggies, your broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, kale, all that good stuff, um, your allium veggies, onions, garlic, leeks, shallots, all that kind of stuff. Really focus on adding those in. And if you're somebody who struggles with getting in more greens, then that's when you, where you can like tag your man. (laughs) I don't know why that just, what is that from? Why did that just pop into my head? Tag your man. Um, You can call in reinforcement and supplement with a superfoods type of powder. I don't, well, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say I wouldn't just throw a superfoods powder on top of the standard American diet, but I don't know. That actually is probably not a bad idea to be honest with you, but it can be a nice addition. It's nice supplement, if you will, to a whole foods diet. Um, I've said before, Scott does not love greens. Um, like if I saute them with olive oil and garlic, he'll eat them, but he doesn't like raw greens. He doesn't really love salads. Um, and, and the, honestly his digestion, digestive system doesn't love them either. It's probably way too much information for old Scotty boy, but there you have it. So um, he does really well and has always done really well with working in green juice. I know that folks have asked me about like, what do you think about juicing? Is it too much sugar? And for most of us, especially from a blood sugar control standpoint, it definitely can be because we're removing the fiber, right? So it is... Kind of like a sugar bomb. I'm not, I don't think juicing is bad. I think it really depends on your metabolic control, what you can handle. Um, but the Organifi green juice, he's been doing really, really well with that. And so it's a bunch of greens dried, and it's less than three grams of sugar per serving. So that's important too. So he gets like the bulk of the greens in. And not all of the sugar. And it's just a way for him, somebody who's the, I can tell him about why greens are good for him all day long. He's still never gonna do it. It just, it's just, it's not, he's not gonna like mainline green veggies. He's just not. So um, it's a really, really good um, option for you. So if you're thinking about pulling out foods, you also really wanna think about, well, what can you do to add? nutrients to your diet as well. The nice thing about the um, Organifi green juice, it's literally called green juice, by the way, (laughs) um, is that it has ashwagandha in it too, which is a very nice adaptogenic herb. So it helps to work on the stress response while you're getting your nutrients in. So if you're interested in that product, you can go to Organifi.com forward slash funk and use the code funk for 15% off. Any item in the store, so that's o r g a n i f i dot backslash funk. Okay. Um, I also really I'm I don't I don't know I'm not a, like a green juice type of gal, but uh, their red juice is where it's at for me. I pound that stuff. Anyway, so that is a, a recommendation from me to you in terms of food. If you are someone who really struggles with the idea of removing foods, if that's just an overwhelming thought to you to get gluten and dairy out, if you're like, I do struggle with these chronic conditions, but maybe you've struggled with restriction in the past, or maybe you're just totally overwhelmed with with like, how would I even attempt to do this? um, Getting data can be really helpful. So somebody who has a lot of food stress, who's maybe done some elimination diets, or somebody who's just never pulled foods out and doesn't like the idea of doing that, that's when I recommend doing testing to figure out, are you actually reacting to this food? Um, Now, I have dropped some of the prices on my functional lab testing on my website. The Wheat Zoomer is a test that looks at uh, all of the peptides within wheat. So it will tell you definitively whether or not you're reacting to wheat. It's also a test for celiac disease, a definitive test for celiac disease. It's also a test for leaky gut. It also looks at transglutaminase enzymes, which I'm gonna talk about in one quick second. And um, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal test. Oh, it, yeah, I already said the leaky gut thing. Uh, that's a phenomenal test. It looks at zonulin, I'll talk, talk to you about that in a second. So, it does more than just tell you if you're sensitive to wheat, but that's a really, really good one if you're having chronic stuff. Um, you can also do a bundle of the different Zoomers. So, I would recommend maybe a corn in a dairy as well. Um, when a year, about a year ago, it was right around the holidays last year. Um, Hattie had been dealing and I've, I've talked about this on the show before, but she had been dealing with a lot of mucus stuff. And it was like, we, I had to sleep with her for like three or four months straight because she would just be up all night coughing. Oh my gosh. I still have kind of like PTSD about it. She would just have this like thick mucusy cough. And that had been going on for like on and off for two years. It always ramped up around like the holidays. And, um, we, two years ago we pulled out our carpets and we got hardwood floor upstairs and then um we just made some like a lot of changes and for me i was convinced it was dairy i was like it's totally totally dairy but like let's get like the real definitive data because i don't want to just pull foods out of my kids diet for no reason, you know, I wanna see the data. It's a worthy investment for me to actually see what she's reacting to. And I was convinced that it was dairy. So I tested her for a bunch of, I did a bunch of different wheat zoomers on her and her dairy was in the green, meaning she she was not reactive to cow's dairy, not even a little bit. And I was like, whoa, okay. But her corn zoomer was off the chart. She reacted so, fiercely to corn. Um, her wheat zoomer was as well, but um, I had, I mean, she's always been on a gluten-free diet. I just did like a challenge test before we, we tested her. Um, but corn is a pretty, if you're sensitive to gluten, there's a high likelihood that you're also sensitive to corn. And I did that test on myself just for, just to see. And mine came back a little bit, um, but kind of in solidarity with Hattie, I I removed corn from my diet and just last week I had a bowl of popcorn. It was organic popcorn. I popped it myself. I put grass-fed ghee and, um, sea salt on it. My husband and I wanted to like have like a snack during like the whole election type of stuff. And, um, the next day I felt fine. And then since then I've felt pretty bad. So I have a lot of GI stuff going on, joint pain, just brain fog, just like overall rundown. And I'm like, oh, okay. So this is why I don't eat corn. Um, Anyway, I'm saying that because sometimes when we're looking, if we're doing an elimination diet or we're taking foods out and challenging the system, we're waiting for the response the very next day. There's something called delayed food reactions. And um, you really want to pay attention to what happens four days after you eat it. So like you eat the food, watch what happens with your body for the next four days. Um, Anyway, that's neither here nor there, but just uh, I don't feel like that's a very commonly understood thing. Anyway, these zoomers are super easy to do. They used to um when I used to run them in my practice, it involved a phlebotomist, so you'd have to hire a phlebotomist or go to a lab, like a very specific lab, and it was kind of a it was a whole thing, and now you can do them as an at-home test. So highly recommend. And I would highly recommend doing it if you do have Hashimoto's. So the question was, what is the link between Hashimoto's and gluten? I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, but I've never really broken it down. So here is the full tilt breakdown. Hashimoto's, it's an autoimmune disease that attacks the thyroid gland. And it's characterized by the presence of abnormal antibody production. This includes, thyroid peroxidase antibodies, also known as TPO antibodies, and or thyroglobulin antibodies. It's sometimes written on a lab test as TGAB. Because Hashimoto's is the most common cause of hypothyroidism in the US, it's really important to screen for these antibodies if you have a known thyroid issue. Um, Outside the US, the, the most common cause of Hypothyroidism is iodine deficiency. Here, it is really an autoimmune process. And this is why I run these labs. I run a full thyroid panel in Your Hormone Revival because I had so many people come tell me that they couldn't get this test anywhere. They couldn't get a full thyroid panel done. Every single time they went to their doctors, they would get denied. And I was so frustrated by it because this is important information. Getting these antibodies is really important. So when I'm talking about a full thyroid panel, I'm talking about TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. I'm talking about both free and total uh, T4. I'm talking about free and total T3, because we have to convert T4 into T3, which is the active thyroid hormone. I'm looking at reverse T3. I'm looking at T3 uptake, and I'm looking at the antibodies, That is important information. That is important data for you. If you do have the presence of these elevated antibodies or you've been diagnosed with Hashimoto's, it's really important for you to be cautious about gluten-containing foods. And that is as nice and as gentle as I can be about it. Use caution. (laughs) Um, And the reason for it is because of a process known as molecular mimicry. Molecular mimicry is when a molecule's molecule structure and its protein sequence looks like something else. So sometimes food proteins can look like our own body's tissues. And this is the case with gluten and the thyroid. Glidin is a peptide that's found in gluten and gliden looks an awful lot like one of our own enzymes, an enzyme that we make in our own body called transglutaminase. And our thyroid gland happens to have a large concentration of this enzyme. So when we eat gluten, gliden triggers the release of zonulin. That's another protein in our body that our body makes. Zonulin opens up the tight junctions in our gut lining. And this is what causes the gut to become leaky. I unpacked leaky gut in episode 121, I think it was, uh, the gut-skin connection, the se- second episode. I talked all about that whole process. Um, w- the two biggest triggers for zonulin-, zonulin release are pathogenic bacteria and wheat, specifically gliden. Those are the two big things. So, when we eat wheat, it triggers the release of zonulin, which opens up the lining of our gut, causing the gut to become leaky. Um, and this is, uh, this is why the wheat zoomer tests for zonulin levels and it tests for antibody, uh, zon- zonulin antibodies so you can identify leaky gut. So, when the gut is leaky, when it's opened, it's not supposed to be opened, when it's open and leaky, food proteins like Gliden, can slip through the cracks and get into the bloodstream. This triggers an immune reaction because the immune system's like, what the heck? This doesn't belong here. This isn't supposed to be in the bloodstream attack. So when the immune system attacks Gliden, it can also attack the transglutaminase enzymes in our thyroid once the immune system has been exposed to a protein, any protein, it memorizes them. So every time you consume gluten, your immune system can launch an attack and that damage can last up to six months after the original gluten exposure. So when your immune system, if your immune system is attacking enzymes in the, uh, with Hashimoto's there, it's the, the site of the attack is usually thyroid peroxidase enzyme TPO. When that's happening, it's not like that's the only thing that gets destroyed. There's like collateral damage. There's inflammation all around. Um, and so that damage can last up to six months. So you, so some people are like, oh, I ate gluten. I felt a little weird, but then I was fine. But it's like you don't understand, or you don't, you might not be aware of the process that's happening in your body on an ongoing uh, basis after the gluten exposure. Listen, I am not saying this. Like, my life doesn't change if everyone goes gluten free. Like, I am not here to convince everybody to go gluten free. I'm not a gluten free evangelist. All I'm trying to do is get people to feel better. And sometimes, taking gluten out of the diet is the thing to get people to feel better. It's a a really good starting point, if nothing else. And so this is why I have all of my Hashimoto's clients on a gluten-free diet. And if they're resistant to a gluten-free diet, I will encourage them to test for gluten reactions using the wheat zoomer test, okay? So that is kind of it in a nutshell. And hopefully that makes it a little bit more clear. I'm not just like the mean guy being like, everybody has to go gluten-free. I really, truly want people to feel better. And I know it can feel like a really big task in the beginning and that's why I say, hey, get some support. Do Eat to Achieve. It'll give you all of the foods that you should be eating instead. Um, And there's also a Facebook group with other folks going through the program so you can have a little bit of the camaraderie aspect as well. So that is it, my friends. Um, I hope it was informative. Hope you enjoyed. And any of the resources that I mentioned, including Eat to Achieve, including the Carb Compatibility Project, including the Wheat Zoomer Test, all of that can be found in the show notes linked up for you. And I'll check you next week. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.